Oh, very nice. I hate to break the moment. But I appreciate uh, so much the blessing of young people who've worked hard and uh, honed their skills and are able to come and bless us like that. Thank you all so much. Uh, So it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Yes, I guess it has. Um, One thing I wanted to call your attention to is this last weekend, uh, a particular uh, movie came out in the theaters that has attracted quite a bit of attention, uh, the story of Desmond Doss called Hacksaw Ridge. And uh, a book was put out that is uh, actually an abridgment of, if you ever read when you were younger, uh, The Unlikeliest Hero. How many of you ever saw that book or had it read to you when you were a kid? Yeah, I did too. Um, an abridgment of that has been put out and made available as, uh, as a giveaway kind of thing. And uh, what it has is the, an abridged version of the book and then at the end, uh, a little piece on the faith of Desmond Doss. So it makes it a very good sharing book that can introduce people to the Adventist church. I think it's very well done. Uh, Pastor Doug Batchelor, uh, one of our good evangelists, has put, uh, put the ending part together, and I think he did a nice job with it. And uh, it, it follows very easily uh, through the book. And uh, Priscilla Lynn has made a point uh, to get a number of these and make sure that they are available if you are a person who knows people you'd like to share this with. Um, Already this week, we've had a number of examples of it. Uh, My wife has shared it with uh, her students at Adventist University of Health Sciences and uh, uh, Julie Cook as well. Um, That's your name, right? Yeah. Is her name Julie Cook or am I just saying her name? Uh, You both named that. All right. See, that was a strange moment for me there. Thank you. All right. Anyway, she made them available as well to her students, and uh, you might want to do the same if you uh, know people who know about this and would be interested. So Priscilla is here. Wave your hand, Priscilla. Turn around so they can see your pretty face. There we go. There's Priscilla. And uh, she will be happy. She will be over here. The books right now are are in the uh, literature resource area that's just to the right here when you go out the sanctuary and, and curve around like you're headed to that classroom. There's a lot of materials there that Priscilla keeps stocked. There's a number there, she has backups, so uh, take advantage of this uh, if that's the way the Lord moves on your heart. So, good. Um, And in in the larger context of our nation and of our land, let us remember that uh, even if there is a uh, subset of America that has misunderstood exactly what this election was about and have mistaken its outcome for justification for unkindness or discrimination. Remember that that's not what we do here. And regardless of where you stand on the larger issues, that one I am certain we are agreed on. That one of the strengths of this community is our diversity and is the different people from different places in the world and different understandings gathered together uh, from every nation, kindred, tribe, and people. This is how God wants it. So, So let us make sure that we are going forward even more careful 
to be humble and gracious with one another, particularly in a time when around us is a lot of tension and fearfulness. And we will see as we go forward how the Lord will help us. If you are of a fearful mindset, remember that God has worked with some unusual people in history. We spent last fall talking about Nebuchadnezzar. What in the world did God see in that guy? But yet he did. So let us not be fearful and continue to trust the Lord, but above all things, let's be good to each other. I think we can agree there. All right. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this chance to come into this place today. We pray, Lord, that your spirit will be here and will speak to us. We actually need to not just hear something today, but to catch a vision with our eyes. But we'll only be able to see it through your spirit. Help us to see today. In Jesus' name, amen. We're approaching the end of our fall series entitled Candles. We still have our, our banners up, and we're still in the book of Revelation, though we have spoken of all the seven churches of Revelation by now. But we're going to spend this week and the next week looking at two other chapters, chapter 4 today and chapter 5 next Sabbath. So let's go straight to the text today, Revelation chapter 4, verse 1. We find these words. After this I looked... And there before me was a door standing open in heaven. And the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. After this. What this verse is, is the introduction to the rest of the book of Revelation. And you read that, it kind of makes you want to keep going, doesn't it? So that's what that part's about, but what is the rest of it about? Well, maybe we will, maybe next fall, we'll see how the Lord leads on that. But after this, after what? Well, after what we've been studying this fall. And it is interesting to note the allusions in this text to what has come before. Did you notice, as I read this, it talked about, I looked and there was a door standing open in heaven. Does that remind you at all of Jesus' message to the church in Philadelphia? Do you remember what he said to them? He said, behold, I have set before you an open door. So we see the link back. And then also the mention of the voice that I heard that was like a trumpet intentionally takes us to chapter 1. Verse 9, I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance, that's the hupomone word again, that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the Spirit, and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, Write on a scroll what you see and send it to the seven churches to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. And it begins with letters specifically to those churches, but then even when you get to the end of the book, it indicates that this whole book is written for these churches. And we know a bit more now about 
these places, these cities, and we also know a bit more about ourselves, or at least we do if we have ears that hear what the Spirit says to the churches. It was Jesus' voice that was the voice like a trumpet, which of course isn't at all surprising because as you recall, this book is called The Apocalypsis Jesu Christu. You remember that back from when we first talked in the first message on this series? The taking the lid off. That's what apocalypse means, to uncover. So it is the revelation of and from Jesus Christ. So it's no surprise at all, now that we're in chapter 4, that it's Jesus' voice again who's ushering us into the next phase of this. It was Jesus who walked among the candles. It was Jesus who dictated the message to the churches. It was Jesus described in the beginning of each letter who was the answer to the needs of that church. It was Jesus who promised and provided the rewards for the victorious. And now, once again, Jesus is moving us forward. Revelation 4, verse 1, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. The trumpet voice of Jesus is calling John into a place where he has never been before, and into a place that would have been forever closed off to all humans, a shut door closed to all humans except for the work of Jesus. Jesus is the one who unlocks the door and opens it for us. Revelation 4, verse 1, the last part, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. There's a strong chronological ordering to the statement built upon what was said before, though we have to be careful not to be too nitpicky here with our understanding of the time frames. We have this in chapter 1, verse 19. Write, therefore, what you have seen and what is now and what will take place later. So this book is about both now and what is to come. The revelation is going to be about now and later, and we've gone over the part that was now, the seven churches. But in doing so, we've seen how remarkable it is that what was now then is pretty much now now as well, isn't it? So true does the author of Hebrews point out, as the church of Pergamum learned, Hebrews 4 verse 12 For the Word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. You remember the Jesus of the sword? He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. We've talked about the things that were in the time of John, but now Jesus says, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And what follows, as noted before, is the rest of the Apocalypsis Jesu Christu, the rest of the book of Revelation. Though interestingly, the vision will move slightly backwards in time before it moves forward to the end 
And this is what's happening in chapters 4 and 5. And you will see that more clearly next Sabbath when we talk about chapter 5. Revelation 4, verse 2. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. And the one who sat there had the appearance of jasper and ruby. A rainbow that shone like an emerald encircled the throne. So Jesus calls John to go through the open door. And as John is transported, I wonder if these words of Jesus came back to him in that moment. These are words we considered earlier this summer before we began the candle series. We talked from the book of John for a little while. John chapter 10, verse 7 Do you remember these words? Therefore Jesus said again, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. In verse 9, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. And I wonder if John remembered these words of Jesus as well. John 14, verse 6, Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John had written these truths that Jesus had spoken, and now here here he is in vision experiencing these very things. For who is it that John found when he went through the door that is Jesus? Well, once through the door, John found himself at the throne of the Father. No man comes to the Father except through me, Jesus said. How do you think John felt in that moment? How would you feel if you suddenly found yourself before Jehovah's awful throne? Now, when I say awful, I don't mean what that word has come to mean, like ugly or in bad taste, but rather awe-filled to stand in a place that is overwhelming. You would be filled with awe, you would be filled with wonder, and I think you would even be filled with a little bit of fearfulness because of how great and surpassing The glory of God unveiled is. Make no mistake, if only an angel were to appear in this room now, we would all do what the prophets of old did, fall to the ground as though dead. And imagine being in the presence of God The words of Isaiah come to mind. The words he spoke when he was in a similar situation. Isaiah 6, verse 5. He said, Woe to me! I am ruined. For I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. But do you remember in that moment in the story of Isaiah what rendered him safe and able to stand before the Lord Almighty? Verse 6. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with tongs from the altar. With it he touched my mouth and said, See, this has touched your lips. 
Your guilt is taken away and your sin atoned for. Isaiah was touched with a coal from the altar, the place in the temple where the sacrifice was made for the sins of the believers, the illustration of what Jesus would do for us. Isaiah is made safe to stand before the throne of God by the promise of what Jesus was going to do for all humanity when he died on the cross. No doubt John in that moment as he's taken into the very presence of God must have felt completely overwhelmed at the sight. And he might have been tempted to believe he didn't belong there. But perhaps also these words came to his mind in that moment as they come to ours now as we ponder this. Hebrews chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. And then verse 16. Let us then approach where? God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So can you hear today the voice of Jesus saying not just to John all those years ago, but saying to us right now, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this, do we have the faith to approach God's throne with confidence? There are some who do. Revelation 4, verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were 24 elders. They were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. Now there is considerable speculation in the scholarly community regarding who exactly these elders are and what they might represent. But I, for one, am inclined to totally re reject any explanation that suggests these 24 are anything other than humans like you and I. And why do I say that? Well, for three reasons. First, for the way they're dressed. The text says the 24 elders are dressed in white. Do you remember anything that we learned about the seven churches that speaks of being dressed in white? Does anybody remember the church of Sardis? Revelation 3, verse 4. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. And what is the promise to all of the victorious in Sardis? Verse 5, the one who is victorious will, like them, be dressed in white. And I will never blot out the name of that person from the book of life, but will acknowledge that name before my Father and his angels. Now let me ask you something. If Jesus is going to acknowledge the name of his people before the Father, where does Jesus have to be to do that? in the throne room, doesn't he? But that's not all. The text mentions the 24 elders are wearing crowns. Do you remember anything from the seven churches about crowns? 
How about this from the letter to the church in Smyrna, Revelation 2, verse 10? Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you, and you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you life as your victor's crown. Who wears the crown? The overcomers. And this to the church in Philadelphia, Revelation 3, verse 11. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that no one will take your crown because you're going to want to wear it when you're at the throne. But even that isn't all. Do you remember from Revelation 4 how John first sees the elders? Verse 4, surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders. Does being seated on thrones beside the Father's throne ring any bells with you of anything we talked about recently? Like maybe the promise to the Laodiceans? Revelation 3, verse 21. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat down with my father on his throne. So I say these 24 have to be the victorious humans like we will be because they are wearing what the victorious wear. They're wearing white clothes with crowns and they're seated where the victorious will sit at the very throne of God. Who exactly they are, I don't know. There's 24 of them. That could well be a symbolic number. 12 patriarchs, 12 disciples. The bringing together of all the righteous from both the Old and New Testament. It's an intriguing thought to think who they might be. Perhaps the 24 represent all the faithful of Old Testament and New Testament times. And perhaps even these are the first fruits who are already there. Are there any that we know are already there? Well, Enoch, right? He might be one of them. And Elijah. And we know Moses, right? And then remember there's that crazy passage in Matthew chapter 27, verse 51. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split, and the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after Jesus' resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared to many people. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us what became of these resurrected holy ones from before. I wonder if John the Baptist was one of these. And I wonder if John the Baptist is one of the 24. We will never truly know for sure until we are literally at the throne with them. But it ought to give us great courage that already there are humans literally seated around the throne of God. But back to the scene of the throne, and we're going to move quickly now. Verse 5, from the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings and peals of thunder, in front of the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. Also in front of the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. 
I thought about trying to find some pictures. I've tried to do some different pictures at different times. I thought about trying to find some pictures, the suggestions of an artistic mind as to how this scene truly appeared. But in the end, I decided against it on the grounds that anything I would find would be so much less than what this reality really is that when I got there, I'd have to repent for doing it. So I didn't. You will just have to let the Spirit paint the scene for your mind's eye. Verse 6, In the center around the throne were four living creatures, and they were covered with eyes, in front and in back. The first living creature was like a lion. The second was like an ox. The third had the face of a man, and the fourth was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings and was covered with eyes all around, even under its wings. Day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. We've heard of these living creatures before from the visions of Ezekiel. And while to our ears they sound pretty weird, I'll bet to our eyes they would be awesome. And just a quick word here to those who are sometimes inclined to make fun of certain praise songs, and by extension those who sing them, because they repeat the same words over and over and over again. You know who you are. You call them 7-Eleven songs. Seven words repeated 11 times. What I have for you today is this. Take that up with the four living creatures, if you dare, because they never stop saying the same 16 words over and over and over again. Remember, sometimes we make fun of what we don't understand. It is always best, isn't it, for us to be humble in all things, especially regarding things we don't understand. It is always possible that people behaving in ways that seem strange to us might in fact be experiencing something we've never known. And there might be a lesson we need to learn. So let us humble ourselves. And apparently, even if you are an awesome, divine, living creature with eyes all over you, when you are before the throne of God, all you want to do is say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And as for those elders that are gathered around, they find this chorus of the living creatures irresistible. And here's what they do. Verse 9. Whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. So I got to tell you, sometimes when I read Scripture, I can't help but think to myself, you know, I'm not sure we're doing this right. 
What we see in Revelation 4 is, in my opinion, what a normal day at the throne of God looks like and sounds like. The elders and the creatures and and who knows who else might be there are worshiping. And I'm not exactly clear on all the details, but I am clear, I think, on at least one. There isn't anyone there just passively sitting and watching. Pretty sure about that. No, it seems that worship in heaven is a participation sport, not a spectator sport. And apparently it gets kind of loud sometimes. And not only that, there's motions you do when you're a part of it. And you know what I believe? I believe that we are by faith today seated in heavenly places before that very throne of God. And because of that, I think we need to join in the chorus of heaven. So this is what we're going to do. I'm going to be the four living creatures today, so just imagine me with six wings and lots of faces and eyes all over. And you are going to be the elders. And I'm going to read the living creatures part, and then you're going to answer with the elders part. And we're going to practice this once. And then we're going to do it three times because we can't do it forever because the bridge needs to come in and start the next service. So we can't do that. But we're going to do it three times. And here's the other thing. The elders don't just say these words. They put their crowns before the throne and they bow. Now, I'm not going to make you get out in the aisles and bow. But what I do suggest you do is go ahead and pull out that kneeling bench we use sometimes. And if you're able to do it, when it comes to your part, go ahead and pretend to take off your crown and kneel and say those words. Now, you don't have to kneel three times. You can stay there after you get there the first time. But go ahead and do that because because worship is a participation sport at the throne of God. And I don't want us to get cheated today. So here's our practice. You don't have to kneel on this one. You can kneel on the next one, and then I'll lead you to start on the second. So here's what I will say. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. And then you'll say, you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Okay, that was pretty good, but this is not a polite, responsive reading. This is bowing in worship before the throne of God. So now don't get totally out of hand. You'll scare some of us. Don't do that. But let's do this with feeling. So I'm going to say the holy, holy, holy part, and then... And then you can pretend to take off your crown, because that's what the elders do, and kneel, and then we'll say the other together. So here we go. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you by your will they were created and have their being holy 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 is the lord god almighty who was and is and is to come you are worthy our lord and god to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will, they were created and have their being. Just stay where you are. There is a door standing open in heaven, and through it, Jesus is inviting us in. There are thrones reserved for us at the throne of God, and those who are victorious will sit on those thrones. Through that door, the Father and the Son wait for you. Lord Jesus, make us ready for that day. In your name, amen.